This is Fred Steinman, Assistant Research Professor with the College Business at the University of Nevada, Reno. Uh, today we are broadcasting live from the Opportunity Zone Summit in downtown Reno. I have a real special treat right now. I have truly one of the real architects of Opportunity Zones, and Steve Glickman, uh, current founder and CEO of Develop LLC. Steve's here, of course, uh, talking to the masses about what Opportunity Zones are. And Steve, now that I have you sitting in the chair, maybe you could give our listeners a one-on-one overview. What are Opportunity Zones? Sure. Well, thanks for having me on. Excited to be in Reno. My, my parents live uh, not too far away in Las Vegas, so I get out to Nevada pretty often. Uh, so Opportunity Zones are, are, are essentially a brand new approach to community development uh, across the country that uh, uses private capital to invest in really anything, uh, uh, growth businesses and startups, energy and infrastructure, uh, and real estate by offering a, a really strong tax incentive to investors. Uh, but uh, their investments have to be in low-income communities, which are have been designated as opportunity zones. And there's about 8,762 of these Opportunity Zone communities around the country, they're in every state, uh, in D.C., in the territories, uh, including Puerto Rico, they make up about 12% of the country and cover 35 million Americans. And uh, we're at sort of the very first inning of seeing the, this industry form around it of investors and developers and venture capitalists uh, and uh, community builders and, and uh, local stakeholders uh, that see this as the next big thing in the way we rebuild communities that have been left behind. I think this is a real fascinating tool to encourage new development, uh, primarily in economically distressed areas. Uh, I think it's fair to say historically the approach has always been how can I accelerating, accelerate the planning and permitting process as the local government or how can I throw various property tax or sales tax incentives. Uh, but this is unique in that it's an incentive directly designed for the private sector in getting private sector interests to put money in new development, startup, uh, rehabilitation, revitalization of economically distressed areas. Uh, per perhaps you can expand on that idea of if I'm a private sector interest, um, a developer, an investor, property owner, you name it, how can I use an opportunity zone to complete the project I want to do? Sure. Well, I, I think the premise of your question is a really good point. Uh, one, this doesn't either displace, uh, doesn't displace existing tools of economic development. They can all work alongside and within this program. I, I do think it's a, oftentimes a better alternative to what a lot of states and cities are left with, which I, in my view, um, at the end of the day, equate to having to mortgage their tax base in order to bring in a, you know, an immediate stimulus of jobs. And this program is, actually works the opposite of that. This program doesn't cost state or local governments anything. This is a federal incentive, and particularly in a state like Nevada that doesn't have any state income taxes, uh, there's nothing to do on the state level in that regard either. And I think what, what you do by uh, in, uh, encouraging all this new investment and development is you're actually increasing the tax base. You're building new uh, property. Uh, you're, you're creating new businesses that are all going to pay into that. This is, this is a tool that I think can really be used to rebuild and refresh downtowns around the country you know, as we've sort of gone through this cycle of moving out to the suburbs and now there's a lot of demand downtowns, you find real shortages in new real estate. I think that's also true in, in Reno, which I know is dealing with 
an acute shortage of housing of all types, affordable workforce and beyond. For the develop for the investor, it's a really attractive tax incentive. This is one of the largest capital gains tax incentive that exists. It's the only one you get full to fully write off your capital gains. Uh, for your investments with, without having to die first, which is a good incentive. Yep. It's the only way to get money from the stock market into real estate in a tax advantage way. It requires things from investors though. They have to invest for a long period of time, usually 10 years or more, to get the full benefit, that full write-off. Uh, they've got to make economically productive investments that are in businesses. So whether it's real estate or business, you've got to have an actively managed business uh, in this incentive. And you got to go to hard-hit areas that haven't gotten a lot of capital before. For those who own projects, this is really a way to help them fundraise for projects that may not have been viable or may not have been viable to the scale uh, it is now. And increasingly as the market develops, I think you'll see capital get cheaper and cheaper so you can do a, a larger uh, variety of, of, of projects and opportunity zones and even you can do today where I think investors are really trying to feel out the market and figure out uh, if they want to be investors. The scale of that capital is huge. You're talking about $6 trillion in unrealized capital gains uh, with both investors and corporate uh, uh, corporate investors, so individual and corporate investors. And the scale of potential deal flow is huge. So just in real estate, in 2017, in just Opportunity Zone communities, before the incentive exists, there are about $50 billion in commercial real estate deals. This is going to create, I think, a $100 billion a year market when you add in the increase in activity we're already seeing in zones, coupled with the investments I think you'll see uh, in infrastructure, in renewable energy, and in, uh, and, and in operating business investments. So this is a big market. This is a trillion-dollar industry. It's a, it's a huge historical gap, if you will, in the economic development toolbox, uh, really on kind of the localized level, uh, being able to bring that many dollars. And like you said, that, that translation from the stock market to actual real estate without incurring major penalties uh, and tax liabilities moving forward. Uh, it's, it's kind of almost a shame we didn't think about this 10, 15, 20 years ago. What's the last time you've had a major community development program in, in a new one since the New Markets Tax Credit in 2000? So really 20 years since we've had really new thinking in this space. And it's meant to continue the sort of uh, thinking the bipartisan kind of approach to this as you had in the 1970s and 80s with empowerment zones and enterprise zones and renewable communities. But those programs never really worked. They were never a strong enough incentive. They never touched enough of the country. They were, there was too much um, that you had to do at the front end to qualify to really enable this to be a market tool. This is really the first totally flexible scalable incentive. And if it works, I think it'll be responsible for the transformation of communities around the country. But that means all the stakeholders have to do their part. Investors have to invest. Developers have to develop in this new long-term way. Companies have to come to these zones. And I think uh, community leaders and uh, mayors and county officials and city councils and state officials have to be partners. They have to make it, uh, I think, easy and quick to get the entitlements and the zoning and permitting you need from projects. I think they have to tie in workforce incentives and affordable housing uh, incentives. Uh, and uh, you're already seeing some of this happen um, in Maryland, Michigan, Ohio, Puerto Rico. You see major incentive packages around opportunity zones. The federal government has its own new council just focused on opportunity zones. So I think you're starting to see the, mo the movement of something really big. But we're, we're still early and it's still fragile. And it's important, I think, uh, around the country for more and more communities to figure out how to organize locally around this and give it 
their, in, you know, what's investable in their communities, the attention it really deserves. I, I think that's an excellent point. Um, and even though opportunity zones are relatively new, new uh, a relatively new addition to the larger economic development toolbox, uh, there certainly is a lot of upward potential for them to really be transformative uh, and really to incentivize again the private sector and investors to put dollars in those economically distressed areas to a, to a level that we've really never seen historically in, in the United States. Well, I, we, we need it. I mean, the gap has never been bigger between uh, how communities have fared in this recovery. Uh, a lot of that growth was really captured by a handful of really strong cities that had um, uh, large technology-enabled industries, and a lot of the rest of the country got left behind. I think that plays out in our politics. So I think this is a, a, a practical problem we have to solve as a country. And frankly, with the fact that we've got the, you know a $20 trillion debt at the federal level, many states and cities are broke. Um, you, capital is going to come from you know individual investors who have, I think, benefited from a, a very attractive tax code over the last 30 years, and they may not get there on their own. Hopefully, this this project, this program, uh, shows people that in mass um, they can create the kind of momentum it takes to invest in these communities. One other thing, because I know you got to go, uh, I have a new tool that I uh, put out uh, uh, last week called the Opportunity Zones Index, and what it does is it provides the economic baselines for every opportunity zone in America, compares them against each other and ranks them and creates a heat map of the country that's searchable and you can find all this individual data and see how cities and counties and states do. Reno does surprisingly well amidst every other city in the country. They rank in the top 20 of opportunity zone metro areas out of 130 or so. Uh, cities and there's some really attractive zones in the middle of the city. Uh, the idea is, I think, to show investors that there are interesting places to invest in cities around the country. Uh, that they, they may have as attractive and as growth-oriented zones as anywhere they're seeing on the coast. But I think there's a lot of stereotype about what opportunity zones look like outside of New York, uh, San Francisco, L.A., and other places that have, you know, disproportionately strong economies. And I'm really excited by the potential of, of really connecting the dots between all of that capital and all of these, what I think are undervalued, uh, assets that have tremendous growth potential, and that's really where I spend most of my time. That's that's fantastic. To learn more about what Steve is doing, do check out his website, developadvisors.com, all one word, uh, to learn more about the tool that Steve has mentioned, but more importantly, how Opportunity Zones can either help your community or how you as a private sector interest can take advantage of this new incentive. Thanks so much. Great to be here. Thank you, Steve. This is Fred Steinman, Assistant Research Professor with the College of Business at the University of Nevada, Reno. And we're live today broadcasting from the Opportunity Zone Summit in downtown Reno on March 19, 2019. And I have the pleasure of sitting with Vincent Griffith uh, with Reno Engineering, uh, located here in Reno, Nevada. And Vincent, you just had the opportunity uh, to present during the Opportunity Zone Summit. Maybe you could give us a quick little overview of what you talked about and what Opportunity Zones mean for Northern Nevada, Nevada in general. Perfect, perfect. Well, thanks for asking. So basically, I was presenting a project that we've owned for several years now and, and developed out uh, on Arlington Inn First Street, which is the bottom three floors of the Arlington Towers. So it's the commercial floors of what's really an iconic building in Reno, Nevada. It's one of the tallest buildings, I believe, in uh, downtown, 22 stories, and uh, built in the 60s. 
kind of got that Dean Martin feel to it, right? It's Absolutely. you just walk in and you can feel the Dean Martin. I'm sure he was in the building at one time. So anyway, um, I presented that as a perfectly suited project that is ready to go in downtown Reno for an opportunity fund. And so um, I looked at that when opportunity zones come out, you're in the development world, you look up the regs, you're like, well, how does this affect business? How does it affect the properties I own? Um, and so you kind of look through that, and the more I read the regs, the more I realized, one, I couldn't take advantage of it as the current owner, because if you already own it, it doesn't do you any good. It's got to be a new project. But two, the more I read about it, out of the six, eight properties that we own, it really was the one that was most perfectly suited for a group that might be from out of town, that wants to invest money in a safe, secure location like Reno, Nevada, that's on the up and come, which is Reno, Nevada. And um, so what we, we really talked about was taking the second and third floor and turning them into residential units, which is so desperately needed in Nevada or in Reno, all over the country. Everybody's having a housing crisis. Um, Reno always thinks that we're special, right? And then you read the, the the, the Wall Street Journal, and you realize everybody's going through the same growing pains we are. Spend a little time in Manhattan or San Francisco, right. and then tell me about a housing right. crisis. And, and, and some, some folks have talked about affordable housing and attainable housing, and you know what? One way to solve the problem is just more housing. So I'm not pitching uh, Arlington Towers as, as an affordable play. I, don't, I think more housing is going to help solve the problem. And if you think about it, if you build a not that these are, but you build a million dollar condo, somebody moves into that, they're moving out of something else, and then something else and something else, there's a ripple effect, right? So I think right now that we're, we're out of homes for people, in a sense, we just need more homes. We shouldn't get all hung up on, like, do something. Get out there, do something. It doesn't have to be this price range, that price range. I think the sooner we build more homes, the sooner we solve the problem. So to your question, we were really talking about the Arlington Towers conversion from office to multifamily in the bottom two floors, um, and we'll see how it goes. But I really think it is a perfectly suited project to take advantage of the Opportunity Zone tax abatement. I think that's really what it is. You hold it for 10 years, you pay no taxes on the gain. That is a, and if you believe in Reno, and I do, and you believe that it'll go up by at least 50%, let's say you double your money. You're gonna double your money and not pay taxes on any of the gain? How can you say no to that? I, I, and, and it's going to do exactly what the federal regs were meant to do. Bring new money into, I'm, I'm not, I, I wanted to think blighted because that's probably what they were thinking in federal law, but downtown Reno is certainly not blighted, right? It's a secure investment to start with, but it's going to bring, it's going to do what it was meant to do and bring money into downtown cores, right, urban areas. Um, that really need the influx of cash. Well, I think that's been one of the challenges for a lot of cities and counties, local governments, economic development authorities for years and years. You know, we had to pay a high premium through tax increment financing right. or, you know, uh, expedited planning and permitting processes to attract the investment. Now here you have a private sector tool essentially paying private sector interests to go into specific communities and spend money. A absolutely. It's a federal grant. Right. I mean, think about it. We used to, all cities had to, and Reno really never was front end on this because of our Nevada way. Like, look, just do it yourself, right? It's already a low enough tax base in, in Nevada. We're not going to give you money on top of that. But other communities especially had to go in, dig into their pockets, pass bonds, give it to developers to build some project that they wanted in their community. 
This has circumvented all of that. It's, it's going straight to the source of capital, allowing them to write that off of their federal tax return. It leaves the city and county and the locals out of it. And it's still going to do, I think, it has real potential to bring in that kind of capital we need without affecting schools locally, roads locally, um, bond issues. All of that affects us that live here. And, and developers don't, developers, but in general, investors don't care where that tax break comes from. And we don't have to cut our fees or sewer fees or water fees. In fact, basically it's a way for the government, federal government, to kind of pay the fee for all these, this development, right? Absolutely. I like it. You know, you, you touched on this idea, you know, just now with this idea of a ripple effect. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I think that one of the long-term benefits is not necessarily what the benefit of Opportunity Zone funding and tax abatement does specifically for the Opportunity Zone, but for an entire community. Um, you know, just in your example, the Arlington Tower project, you're right. You know, someone who's going to move into a condominium or a multifamily unit in Arlington Tower is freeing up a housing unit somewhere in the suburban communities and neighborhoods in the surrounding area. You know, so there's that progressive ripple effect, both tangible and physical, but also in terms of the financial side as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think. Uh, I had an electrician friend of mine really and I'll dumb it down for myself here. I walked into a huge building and I think it was a 300,000 square foot office building and I wanted to ask him how we were going to save energy bill for the client, right? Like really I wanted to get into it and I was coming up with computer ideas and we we're going to have master mainframes and, and lighting programs and all this other stuff and he walked over, he goes, Vince, he goes, you're just making it too hard. It's the engineer in me. He goes, you're making it too hard. He walks over and he just turned the light switch off. And, I, and I'm like, what's your point? I don't get it. What's your point? He goes, well, you just put a motion sensor on these things and you don't need all that computer stuff. And if you keep it simple, that goes back to my idea. We don't have to get so bogged down on what color the house is, how, what the price range, the AMI, AMI all of that stuff. Yeah, all, all relevant, but let's not you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater, forest through the trees, right? Um, perfection is the enemy of getting anything done. All those phrases come to mind. Let's just build some houses, right? Let's not get so caught up on, right? And, and the, not the rest of it will figure itself out, but once you get that momentum, you can start tweaking it. But boy, we gotta, well, it's a problem nationally. And you know, I like living in Reno in the sense that sometimes we solve our problems in our way, in the Reno way. And, it, and it's even better, right, than the way that maybe Kansas City or Cleveland or San Jose is going to figure it out. So um, maybe the more housing, letting some of these projects move forward, right, let it, let it happen. Um, people are ganging up in houses, right? They're having problems finding places. It, it's a true, it's really there. You know, the, the idea you just touched upon, flexibility. Right. Um, I, I think is another major advantage of the way the federal government has approached Opportunity Zone. So, you know, in traditional like grant funding out of the right. federal urban renewal area era, um, or even in terms of what local governments could do in terms of their own tax incentives, you had to take a project and beat it into the correct form to qualify for funds. Here, you know what? As long as you meet the investment standard and the time frame and 
And if it's in one of these economically distressed areas called an opportunity right. zone, build whatever you want to do and let the market determine as to whether or not the project's successful or not. That's a brilliant way to put it, actually. I hadn't thought of it that way, but the more I go through that, you're absolutely right. The way that a county or city or even a state would pass a grant program of some sort, by the time it filtered through all the committees and all the other stuff, I mean, it's human nature, right? I'm not faulting it, but by the time you do it, you're like, well, it can only be a two-bedroom in this part of town with this AMI and tile floors, and you would have to then find, and trust me, there's a lot of developer types that go out there and do exactly that just because they're like, whatever, that's how we're going to get the tax, tax advantage. This, the beauty of this is its simplicity, and of course, I've been sitting in here all day, and it is funny how a bunch of really smart people can start to make something that's really meant to be so simple, so complicated, right? Uh, well, I don't know, and, and then they would disagree on the panel itself. It's a simple program. Sure. You put your money in, you, hold, you, you invest in a, a project, you double down, so you buy it for a dollar, you put a dollar into it, pretty simple, dollar for dollar, and you hold it for 10 years, they give you a tax break. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. much more comp and they're going to make it more complicated. And trust me, there'll be all kinds of firms and accountants and lawyers that come out and they'll help advise you on how, how that works. But uh, I like the way you said that is it really circumvents all of the stuff that we find ourselves doing locally. Of We'll pass the grant to solve the problem, but it can only be in this really very specific area. And we, we kind of joke as an economist, I can say this, that, uh, you know, if you get five economists in the room at yeah. the same time, you'll get, you know, five different opinions. Uh, six if one of the economists is from Harvard. Um, right. And we tend to I like over, it. you know, instead of focusing on the simplicity of the deal, we add all these right. complex components to a point where the project no longer makes sense. And you're like, yeah. well, why are we doing this in the first place? Well, engineers are no different than uh, accountants and, and economists, I think, is I, well, I've been in many meetings where you get six engineers in the room and you get seven opinions. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, all the reasons why you can't do something. So maybe the beauty of this, uh, this whole opportunity fund program, if it is uh, called that, is basically it's simplicity. And hopefully if that stirs the pot and gets more people outside money coming into Reno, I mean, there's a lot of money flow in Reno. I sell a property, I give my money to somebody, um, they turn around. I mean, we've got a lot of that going on. The more outside folks that bring in um, large substantial chunks, I think just helps Reno get to where they want to be, sure. ultimately. I, I think that's always been a challenge, not just for Northern Nevada, but Nevada in general, right. is you know, moving beyond just the tourism dollars flowing in, uh. real significant investment dollars. Um, is really going to help move the needle in a lot of productive ways for the state. Well, and then let's put it this way, is we control our own destiny. What do we want to be when we grow up? And let's, let's um, not to be the, the sky is falling kind of guy at all, but we help produce housing that people that are engineers that move here from elsewhere with degrees in engineering that are going to work at Tesla. If we do that, Tesla decides to add another line. We don't do that, and we find they're not going to tell us, right? They're going to make a simple decision. And let's use Tesla as an example. We, we talk about them in town a lot, but any large employer of technical-type people, millennials, college grads, high-paying jobs, that's what we like, right? Yeah. I mean, let's just call it high-paying jobs. If we supply the, the not just the restaurants and the parks and the schools, but also the housing that benefits that crowd or, or um, 
plays to that crowd, then all of a sudden we support their their employees. The firm starts to think about expansion here locally. And I don't think we've hit any kind of brick wall. I think we've seen out at the Industrial Park, Tri-Center, uh, quite a bit of growth. And I think that's in part because of how hard we are trying in Reno and supplying the, the, the lifestyle that, that uh, the employees would like. But we got to stay on it. Right. Absolutely. We want to keep we got to keep stoking the fire here. We can't just give up or slow down um, or get wrapped up about what kind of houses we should build. Um, you know, and everybody in town is going to have to take their little ding. Right. It's they can't all go on one side of town that doesn't complain. Right. We figure out the problems in town and, 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 and do what we've always done here. We just figure it out. Well, I think that's been the, the, the interesting response from some of the surrounding communities, Fernley, Silver Springs, Dayton, Lyon County, um, even starting to see some activity in Pershing County. Right. Um, you know, each individual community trying to figure out, well, what, what is our response going to be? Um, and then again, allowing the private sector, you know, to, to figure out what project makes sense for them, right. you know, on, with this new incentive in whichever community they want to invest in well and uh, you brought up silver springs and I'll, I'll i'll touch on that as well so um you know we had a phrase uh with Taurino industrial center is um you know those of us that were there in the beginning you know the few the few believers that drank the kool-aid right is we would just say we were there when the baby was born right lance had said that and i really liked that so uh having been there when the baby was born at tri-center i got to see it grow up and what what helped it become what it was today and so we've been uh, lucky enough to be involved in the Lyon County Industrial Park. We call that Nick, next to Trick. And uh, that's a 10,000 acre industrial park that is very similar to, in all shapes, ways, and forms, to be Tri-Center's expansion, right? So as Tri-Center grows and expands, it will start getting some of those projects expand into it. Well, of course, that's on USA Parkway, just heading towards it's It's a dart headed straight to Silver Springs. And um, one of the speakers here today was talking about development opportunities in Silver Springs. And sometimes it's fun if you've lived here forever, you kind of, mm, I've run into it before where people roll their eyes and like, well, there, come on, I've driven through there once on my way to Vegas and that. Look, they said the same thing about South Meadows. They said the same thing about North Valleys. They've said the same thing about, I mean, that's just human nature. And um, I think Silver Springs has every bit to become if, if you look at Tri-Center and the Nick Project, Trick and Nick being in the center of this hub, Reno, Fernley, Silver Springs, you really think about starting to draw from different directions, alleviates traffic on roads, it starts pulling from different communities with different price points, right? So now we're not all fighting for the same $225,000 home, right? I mean, we get different things. You know, uh, Silver Springs is not gonna have the same parks fees that goes on a house guess what? Their houses are going to be less expensive than Reno, right? It just is what it is. So um, I think Silver Springs is one of those, and it's a long-term play. It's not next year, but you got to start planning for it now. Well, even then, I mean, you know, to a certain degree, I think it's fair to say that the future may be closer than we think. Um, we're already starting to see, at least in the Fernley area and in their industrial park, especially the smaller and mid-sized manufacturers that... Right maybe can't afford the high land prices that have started to grow in the Tahoe Reno Industrial Center, just a function of demand that, right. you know, the larger manufacturers are going to start pushing out 
the smaller and mid-sized manufacturers, but they still want to be close because maybe they sell a component part. Fernley looks really good. Silver Springs looks really good. Um, I, I, I almost get the sense that, again, the future may be closer for Silver Springs and the surrounding communities than what we're thinking. I agree wholeheartedly. I, and, and I remember we designed the interchange at USA Parkway, and we went to some NDOT meetings, and we came up with a split between Reno and Fernley on the, I mean, for traffic engineering, you had to figure that out, right? And so we, we had uh, some really smart minds, and they came together, and we had about a 60-40 split, 60% from Reno and 40% from Fernley. We're going to use that ramp. And I remember, and I, I mean, name names, right? I went to NDOT, right? And I'm, I'm the engineer, and I'm trying to get this project done, right? And we roll out the plans. And, and uh, obviously, somebody that grew up in, you know, Nevada, right, looked at that. And, and just the negativity towards Fernley of, there's never going to be, right? So closer than you think, right? right? And, and not that we fought for it, because hell, the developer had to pay for the interchange anyway, right? So we could build what we wanted. But I remember the absolute uh, dis disbelievement, disbelief that that many folks would come from Fernley. You look at that interchange today, it's probably 50-50, well, yeah. honestly. Easily. And so Fernley has come through, and that interchange is only 10 years old. I mean, this is a 10-year-old um, conversation we had, and it's obviously happened. So. I think Silver Springs has everything going for it that will become. And uh, as Fernley grows into what Reno was 10 years ago, Silver Spring grows into what Fernley was 10 years ago, we're going to just have, and, I, and, and that's where my crystal ball stops because that's far enough for me, right? right? USA Parkway connecting and all that and 30,000, 60,000 acres of industrial. And a lot of tri-centers may be sold but not built on. We've got some room to grow there Definitely. with good paying jobs, high-tech, autonomous rockets. I mean, you know, we could really, there's already stuff in, in play there that um, if you would have asked people 20 years ago, if we would have seen the likes of Switch and Tesla and blockchain, they would have just said, I don't, that, I don't not in Reno. Left you out of the And room, here we are. Yeah. So. It really, really is quite fascinating. Uh, well, Vince, I, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me today. Uh, again, uh, my guest for this segment has been uh, Vincent Griffith, uh, president of Reno Engineering. Uh, was one of the few people that were there from the inception and the birth of the Tahoe Reno Industrial Center. Uh, and we'll hopefully see the next generation and the next generation after that. There so. you go. Well, it was a pleasure to be here and talk to you. All right. Well, thank All you right, very much. Thank you.